You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John DeYard, and welcome to this month's podcast. I'm super excited about this podcast. It's called Beyond Sleep, Groundbreaking Research on Melatonin with Dr. Paula Witt. Enderby, and she is clearly one of the leading experts and researchers in the field of melatonin. I am so excited to have her here. The understanding of melatonin is so critically important. People don't get, it's not just a sleep hormone. And we're going to dive into some of her research, which is going to really blow your mind. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Paula, who has become a good friend of mine and... um, She is a professor of pharmacology at Duquesne University in the School of Pharmacy, where she's been teaching and conducting research on melatonin for 21 years. She has received excellence excellence awards in teaching, scholarships, advising, and service. In 2014, she was appointed appointed as the Marie Clement Rodier Endowed Chair, which is a really special honor. Her training as a biochemist and molecular pharmacologist in melatonin receptor research and cellular differentiation has allowed her to move her work from the bench to the bedside by conducting the first clinical trials in the world assessing the, the, the efficacy of melatonin alone or in combination with micronutrients to improve bone health and quality of life in both peri or postmenopausal women, meaning that melatonin whether with nutrients or not without nutrients. She's been doing tons of research on that. She has maintained an independently funded research program, gaining about a million dollars in funding. She has 63 publications, was featured in the journal Science. She has been an invited speaker nationally and internationally, and recently has been awarded three patents for her novel melatonin therapies targeting breast cancer and bone. So, um, Paula... Can I call you Paula? Yes, please. You can call me John. Uh, welcome. Thank you for, Thank for you. doing this. Uh, I have been so excited about uh, melatonin, and I, I met uh, Dr. Witt at a Ayurvedic conference where she was attending. So she's super interested in not just science, but natural medicine. So she brings to the table both the science and the ancient wisdom, sort of what I love to be about. And I really think we're going to have a, a wonderful discussion about that. Where I love to come from, from the melatonin side, is this connection to the circadian rhythms. There was a study I read a long time ago, Paula, that talked about how we have disconnected ourselves from the circadian clock. And our genes, our, our cellular clocks, don't hear the rhythms of nature anymore. And I would be, so if we could start out by you just telling me, how does melatonin connect us to the circadian light-dark cycles? And, and how old are these light-dark cycles? Sure. So, so melatonin is basically our signal for darkness. So people get confused and say that melatonin is our signal for sleep, but it's basically in training our circadian rhythms to the light dark cycle. And so what we have is that we have uh, retinal pigment cells in our, in our eyes, or they're called retinal ganglion cells, and they contain a specialized protein called melanopsin, which has it can detect blue light waves, which is more of a high frequency, short wavelength. 
And then when it's daytime, it transmits that signal to the master biological clock, which is in our brain. And it's the fancy name for it's the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the hypothalamus. We call it the SCN. And then that will, you know, communicate with the pineal gland and say either you're going to make melatonin or you're not. So during the daytime, this the, the SCN inhibits the pineal gland and does not make melatonin. And then when there is no light perception on the retina, which happens at nighttime, then what happens is <clears throat> the SCN then projects to the pineal gland and says, okay, you need to start making melatonin. It's darkness. So it starts to synthesize the enzymes involved in melatonin biosynthesis, and it gets secreted into our bloodstream. So we have this beautiful diurnal rhythm of melatonin where levels are high at night and low during the day. The reason I started this talking about how melatonin is not the hormone of sleep is because nocturnal animals also make melatonin, and nocturnal animals are very active at night. So it entrains our circadian rhythms to the light-dark cycle, but it also entrains our rhythms to the seasons. So melatonin, if you know in the wintertime, we have very short days and longer nights. And then as we're progressing into summertime, so we're all you know feeling circadian shifts right now because it's springtime, we're moving into longer days. So melatonin is more of our signal of darkness. And for humans, that's telling our bodies go to bed. For, for animals who are nocturnal animals, it says, okay, time to get up, eat, because this is the good time where you're not going to get attacked by a predator. So I just wanted to clear that up because it helps when you talk about like jet lag treatment and just therapies like that. It's the hormone of darkness. So let me ask you a question. I want to go back because you talked about blue light for a second. And blue light is, uh, I read one study that showed that the sun has 25% blue light and LED screens and cell phones and LED light bulbs have 35% blue light. Now, is it, does the sun light, is it different like... Um, in the morning, is there more blue light than, say, in a sunset? I've heard that, that I read one, one place that the sunset is sort of orange and sort of that orange filter blocks the blue light so we, have, we don't get that, that, that uh, suppression of the melatonin around sunset. Is, is that true or oh, does it change at all or tell me oh, about that, it? That's actually, that's actually really a neat way of looking at it because I want to bring up natural lighting and how important it is. Um, so in the olden days our light bulbs used to have longer wavelength lights. And if you notice, and I really notice it with our light bulbs, they're very bright. So they do contain more blue wavelength, which is maybe also contributing to our nocturnal suppression of melatonin. And so by switching to that, you know, devices like cell phones, nooks, and anything, you know, alarm clocks, anything you're using, especially at night, can suppress your melatonin levels. Because you, so, you told me that... It's not just your eyes that see it. You told me there's receptors in your skin, right? That, well, talk me about that. Yeah. Well, you have you have uh, you know photopigments all over your body, and they can actually detect different types of light. And so you can kind of you know possibly sync your peripheral rhythms, uh, you know, to be in sync with the light dark cycle. But it's mostly coming from the retinal ganglion cells, uh, where it's actually perceiving the light. So even so, it's not the rods and cones per se. It's these retinal ganglion cells. So even blind people who have light perception can still have a diurnal rhythm in sync with the light dark cycle. So we don't have to cover our eyes, put the blanket over our head, and sleep in a cave. We don't have to do that. Like, and I'm wondering, do you have to cover every, you know, if somebody's in the other room with the light on? No. You have to cover every little skin surface. Otherwise, you know, one little ray of light wipes out your melatonin. Not like that. 
they actually used to do experiments where they put caps on, you know, animal heads just so that they wouldn't get any light exposure because they didn't know. This is kind of when we were trying to discover more specifically what type of photopigment was regulating melatonin. So it is the melanopsin. It is specialized. It is in our retinal ganglion cells, and it is what is causing this relay message from our retinas to our master biological clock to sync our melatonin rhythms with the light-dark cycle. And so where you get all the problems, though, is where you start having light exposure at night. But I also wanted to bring up your good point about how there's different lights, lighting possibly in the sun. And I want to talk about natural lighting because we as humans now are working a lot in buildings. Sometimes I even find myself going from the house to the car, to a building, back into the car, back into my home, and I'm not getting in any natural lighting. And they're finding that a lack of natural daylight can also disrupt your melatonin rhythms as also your cortisol rhythm. So it's almost like we as human beings are not getting enough light during the day and we're getting too much light during the night. So when we're trying to sync our peripheral rhythms to the light-dark cycle, our bodies are very confused. And that's why you're starting to see some diseases crop up like bone loss, cancer, metabolic disorder, diabetes. So it, this, this lighting system is, is really intriguing. So we need to be cognizant of our light cycles. You mentioned a study that said that the average person gets how many minutes of actual daylight per day? It was like 12%, you know, 12% of our day is actually spent outside and half of it's in a car. Yeah. And what was really intriguing is that it, even if you live in San Diego where it's always sunny, on the average, it was like people, you know, in the summertime were getting between one and a half to two hours of sunlight, natural sunlight a day. And in the winter, it falls as low as like 25 minutes to an hour. So we need to, so it's just something to think about. It's like, go outside. I'm, when I, I wrote a book chapter, and that's where I, we were getting all that literature from. So I am even very aware of myself where I want to go outside more. I purposely try and sit outside. So my body is just getting natural lighting. And then I try and minimize my light exposure at night. Do sunglasses block that? Does that make it worse? Or what's the story there? Oh, I don't actually. I mean, I know that they're trying to come. So this is especially for people that work the shift work. Right. What kind of like sunglasses can they use? But that can get to be very dangerous, especially if you come off a long shift, you're tired, and then you're putting on these really dark sunglasses. You can, you know, possibly increase the risk of accidents. So when you're talking about so, you're talking about when you're talking about getting outside, it's still most of that's going through the receptors in your eye. So it's, it's mm -hmm. your eyes seeing the light, even though yes. your skin has some effect. It's still mostly yeah. your eyes, right? So right. the concept of putting sunglasses on. Mm. Well, then you get into the whole cataract thing with UVA right. and UVB rays, and so again, you have to right. just just Balance be cognizant yeah. of your lighting, lighting cycles in the during the day and at night. So before we get into your research, uh, which I want to go, I want to talk about. You mentioned the seasons and that, how important that is. And we have this thing we call the endless summer effect, right? Ever since the we lit up uh, the, the world and the Chicago World's Fair in 1893, the, the the race to light the world started, right? And now we have light that you know the sun sets at six o'clock at night and we're up to 11 o'clock i did like a calculation and on average people stay get about a thousand hours of artificial light extra than they normally should 
and that creates this sort of endless summer effect. And at the end of the summer, there's a natural longer day, which, which is when we harvest more of the carbohydrates and the fruits. So it's sort of the feast and famine thing, right? Where we, at the longer days, tell the body, hey, famine's coming, pig out, gorge on carbohydrates, gorge on fruits, store a bunch of fat, gain a bunch of weight, and get ready for the nighttime, the melatonin, the long, the long nights and the short days to really sleep. But now with the, with the endless summer effect, we have this effect where the days are, are long all the time. So we keep suppressing melatonin. And I read somewhere, and I want you to tell me if this is correct, that when melatonin goes down, insulin levels go up, which means we end up storing more sh- sugar as, and crave more sugar as fat. Dopamine levels, which are reward chemistry, cravings go up, and cortisol, which are stress hormone levels, go up. And if that, is that the case that's happening by spending all this time, this artificial light at night is causing us to have sort of a, 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 in a sense, a, a, a diabetic effect all year long, a stress hormone, cortisol levels being high, and more dopamine, which is making us crave more stuff on, on every level. Is, is that accurate? I can, I, can, I can see what you're saying. There's definitely an inverse relationship between melatonin and cortisol. We can talk about that because that would be one of the recommendations I'd give to people about really regulating your stress levels or anything that would induce a cortisol rise in your body. Um, with respect to dopamine, melatonin does inhibit dopamine release in the retina, so that, that is definitely possible. The whole story about melatonin and insulin is kind of like 50-50, where some people show that melatonin can inhibit glucagon, right. which is a hormone released from the alpha cells of the pancreas, which actually increases blood glucose levels, whereas other groups have shown that melatonin can inhibit insulin release. So my take on the whole thing with insulin and glucagon and sugar regulation is that Melatonin is there more to stabilize your blood glucose levels, so you're exactly right. So if you start now having a lot of light exposure at night, the first thing people try and do to stay up past 10 is to they start eating a lot of carbohydrates. So you get, and that's what's also contributing to metabolic disorder. So it's like the, the thing to do is just try and go to bed by 10 or 11 p.m., quiet your mind, and, you know, they put the best commercials for pizza and everything, you know, at you know, nine o'clock at night, they, they know because they know that people are gonna be wanting and craving this food. So my recommendation is to turn down those lights because it will potentially start inducing your appetite to, to have more carb cravings. Wow, okay. So now please tell me about the link between melatonin or the lack thereof and bone density, breast cancer, the microbiome. Let's dig into some of your research. Sure. So um, so there's really interesting epidemiological data. So there's a nurse's cohort that they've been tracking these nurses for many, many years, and especially shift workers. And what they found in the study is that there was an increased risk of hip and wrist fracture for those who worked the night shift greater than 20 years. So then a lot of us, because I actually started not really in bone per se, I started when you read my introduction in cellular differentiation. And what I found is that when we treated cells with melatonin, they changed their cell shape. And we were able to map out the signaling cascade that caused the cell to change its shape. And it was an artificial system. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to ask the question, does this same signaling cascade work in something that changes its morphology or shape, but that determines its function? And so one of the cells that I wanted to study were the mesenchymal stem cells, which are derived from bone marrow, but you can also derive them from fat. And what, and what they do is they, they look like little circles when you isolate them. They're very immature. 
They don't have any defined function and they can actually turn into cartilage, bone, muscle, or fat tissue. And what we did is we took melatonin and just exposed it to what you would have in your body. And lo and behold, these cells transformed into these um, calcium depositing osteoblasts and they actually changed from this little circle to this really cool cobblestone appearance. And they actually were laying down calcium along the side of the, of the cell. So we showed all this beautiful work in the stem cells, and then we wanted to test it in preclinical models and in clinical trials. And what we did is we had women, so in, in animals, we actually showed that melatonin taken during the night. So that's another key thing. It's melatonin's a chronobiotic agent. So you, because you know levels go up during the hours of darkness, you will have the greatest effect of melatonin if you take it right before bed to supplement the nocturnal peaks. And so what we did is we had these, so we had the animals ingest melatonin for a year and we uh, looked at their bone density and melatonin actually was equal in uh, increasing bone density to hormone therapy, like an estrogen progesterone hormone therapy because some women are on hormone therapy, you know, for relieving their vasomotor symptoms, but some also to prevent bone loss. And then we also, one of the patents that we received, we actually put melatonin on a calcium aluminate scaffold and we put it in a defect that was created and we actually had new bone growth coming into a, a defect that would be very hard to, to form bone. And this was to mimic what osteonecrosis of the jaw, where some individuals, when they're taking some of these osteoporosis medications, their jawbone deteriorates and their teeth fall out. And so we were able to show that with this adding melatonin to this induced new bone growth. And then we ran a clinical trial and we did two clinical trials. We did melatonin alone and then we added it with these micronutrients. They're bone tropic agents, so they all sort of had an effect on bone growth, but when you added them all together, they synergized. But in both cases, in the first clinical trial, we ran them in perimenopausal women. So these are women that are between the ages of 45 to 52 they are having all the vasomotor symptoms, the hot flashes, the night sweats. They're having the irregular periods. They're just sleep, you know, sleep disturbances. And we just wanted to know if we added melatonin nightly, three milligrams for six months, could we, you know, renormalize their bone marker turnover? And what we found is that we, when these women took this melatonin, that we actually renormalized and put them back into equilibrium. Because to make healthy bone, you need a normal bone remodeling process to take place. It needs to be coordinated. You need, you need uh, an equilibrium between the cells that break down bone and the cells that fill bone. And so when women go through menopause, what happens is their bone breakdown cells outpace their bone forming cells. So over time, they start having bone loss, which can result in osteopenia and osteoporosis. And so that was an interesting finding, but we also showed in that study that women, um, their physical symptoms of menopause actually improved. We had them do a validated questionnaire. And then we also showed that their menstrual cycling actually decreased compared to placebo. So those were kind of nice findings. And then the most recent study, and everybody can have access to that, it's an open access journal. We added melatonin with strontium citrate, vitamin K2, and vitamin D3. And in this group of women, we actually had postmenopausal women with osteopenia, and we actually reversed bone loss. Wow. So here, so this is like nice because they're all over-the-counter remedies. How much melatonin? Everybody has, 
What? How much melatonin were you giving? Five milligrams in that one. Five milligrams. And the other one was the same? No, the first study we did had three milligrams. So they were both but, worked. Yeah. But everything needs to, you know, the key is, is that it needs to be taken at night. So it's just, you know, there's just more and more research. And then there's a group in Denmark that did this beautiful research where the women took one or three milligrams of melatonin and also reversed bone loss in these postmenopausal osteopenic women. But the other cool thing is they actually had a decrease in total fat mass, which is a big thing for women when they go through menopause. And they actually had a trend towards an increase in lean body mass. Was that with K2 and vitamin D3 or just by No, itself? that was just melatonin alone. That was just melatonin alone. So they had a nice powered study. So our first study was, you know, pilot study. We only had 18 people, but it was the first to get other people interested. And then this group took, you know, did a bigger study and they had beautiful results from that. Was it time release melatonin or just one? No, this was just regular melatonin. So the big question, I mean, what you just did was put a big carrot out there for a lot of postmenopause women who are concerned about bone density, right? So what's the story with supplementation? Are there issues with, you know, down the road creating, de creating dependencies, not producing your own? What's your suggestion there? Well, the one thing about melatonin is it's unlike a lot of the other hormones, and people have even argued if it's a hormone, they call it a molecule, because it does not, its release does not result in the release of other molecules, and it does not exert feedback inhibition on its axes. So there, so you hear people say, well, I get dependent on it. Well, my melatonin levels go down if I take it. And it no, that's not, that's not the case. So that's, really um, I want to really make sure that's clear, Paula, because that's something that's, because I read some, some, some mixed results and I'm sure, you know, you can read anything you want, but it was PubMed. Um, so what you're saying is that you, you can really safely take melatonin supplementation without creating a dependency or actually inhibiting the production of your own uh, melatonin. Yeah, and the other neat thing about melatonin and what makes it such a cool molecule is that it switches its um, actions in the body based on dose, meaning that at very low doses, it works through the melatonin receptors, which are found on the plasma membrane, and that's the work that we do in doing all the effects on bone. But high concentrations of melatonin flip it into a free radical scavenger and uh, a molecule that induces antioxidant enzymes. All right, wait, so, wait, 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 wait. You're going. Yeah, you, that, what, isn't that neat? Yeah, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, what are those dosages that you're talking about for low well, dose and I high mean, dose? Well, you know, I don't like to say that because the bioavailability is so different in everybody. Right. And so, what I have, what people ask me this question, and I'm not a clinician, right. so I can't, you know, right. give recommendations like that. But I always say start with the lowest dose. See if that makes you is, feel better with which sleeping. Which is like 0.5, right? That's the lowest you yeah, can Yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, I would start with 0.5 milligrams. And then just see how does that make you feel because there's really three side effects of melatonin that have been experimentally tested. It's vivid dreaming. And I found in my clinical trials, people either like that or they don't like that. It's, it's grogginess. That's why you take it at night. And then the other one is daytime grogginess, which sometimes goes away after two weeks. So what I tell people is, you know, try a low dose, see if that works, see how you feel the next day. You'll feel like you kind of just need another, you know, if you drink coffee, you'll just feel like right. kind of groggy and then up your dose, but slowly. But then I'm saying, you know, I'm not really even pushing supplements per se. I'm, I'm, I'm always of the thinking, you know, 
increase your endogenous levels naturally. And that is a really good point. But before I, I you know, before I get there, I want to, and I want to, and that you're talking about foods that naturally have melatonin in them. We're going to talk about that in a second. And do it. And I think what you're saying is first we should do it with food and see how that works. And but if people. Is it true, like, if melatonin is like, if this is the level of melatonin, that, and it goes to 100% all the way over, let's say it goes, and if it goes to this much, maybe that gets you to sleep at night. But there's this much more production of melatonin that would actually detoxify you, protect you from bone density issues and breast cancer. And people might be getting enough melatonin to go to sleep, but are they getting the full dose of melatonin that they really need to be youthful and have the longevity that we desire? Because the, the pineal gland does calcify with age, right? And the production yes. does go down with age. So, right. so two questions. Is, is, is that accurate? And number two, is there a way that anybody knows to, to, to protect and revive and slow down the, the calcification aging process of the pineal gland? Oh, that's a, those are good questions. And actually, people are trying to figure out, because you're exactly right, with age, you actually have a decrease in the nocturnal surges in melatonin. And some, in some individuals, like over the age of 70, some don't even have a nocturnal surge or a nocturnal blip in melatonin. And one of the things could be a calcified pineal gland, but other people may think you might have a desensitization of the receptors, you know, feeding the pineal gland, but that's still, people are trying to figure out why that happens. So in those individuals, telling them to wear an eye mask or watch your light exposure at night, that would not help them. Right. So if you want to talk about foods yeah. that you can have, you know, just if you, if we actually wrote a review and I could actually, you know, you know, that's open access. We'll link to, we'll my, link to that, Paula, for okay, sure. Okay, that's wonderful. But there, you know, pretty much everything has melatonin if you look at it, because right. it, melatonin is really an antioxidant free radical scavenger. So plants use it to protect themselves against, you know, harsh conditions and, and in, you know, foreign invaders. So you can actually eat these um, foods and actually achieve a therapeutically relevant level of melatonin in the body. And that's what this research showed. But you can have certain fruits like pineapple, oranges, bananas, black pepper was uh, one that had a lot of melatonin in it. Ginger had a lot of melatonin in it. Tart cherries uh, had melatonin in it. But we have a whole list of things that you can use as, you know, just food groups to get your levels up high enough. And actually in that review, my collaborator who helped me write that review actually showed that it had antioxidant potential. So she was like really doing a lot of great work uh, in that where, again, if you take it, because the, the question always is, do I have to eat 5,000 oranges right. to get high enough levels of melatonin in your body? And the answer is no. These are just like normal pulped you know, juices, and she would draw the blood before and after, and it achieved high enough level to have antioxidant potential. And but so that's like the natural to, way. You have to do this at night before you go to bed, though. Yeah, yeah. My recommendation, but now some people can't tolerate orange juice right before bed or pineapple juice. So you'd have to, you know, you know. I know with tart cherries, they sell tart cherry capsules. Right. So you can take things like that, and you would just have to find supplements, you know, that have you know dried out the various food product to then you could take that at night without any toxic you know uh, you know negative effects on your stomach and it's probably also a good idea i know that since we spoke and since we met uh we sourced a home test kit for testing your melatonin levels so it's probably not a bad idea to get those levels your cortisone and your melatonin levels 
test is so you can see just how off the scale or how on the scale you are before you start playing around with this, right? I mean, I guess if you eat some pineapple for a bed, no big deal, but, but you do want to know before you definitely would think of a supplement, you want to make sure that you've got, that you need it, right? I think that's a, I was going to totally recommend that because everyone asks me, oh, so do you take melatonin? And I say, well, I had my levels checked that I'm totally fine. And that will actually give people an indication of what their light situation is in their room while they're sleeping. And so you probably have, tell them how to take it. But for our clinical trials, what we had our participants do is start collecting urine after 10 p.m., and if you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you got to collect that urine and you could just freeze it and collect it all the way until six in the morning. And then what we did is we combined everything and then you can get fully your nocturnal dose of melatonin that you excreted. And because the metabolite does correlate with what, what, what is going on in your body. And shockingly, in our clinical trial, we found that the, our women on placebo had very low levels of melatonin. Wow, that's pretty and cool. And we were able to show a significant rise in the melatonin just with our supplements with the five milligrams. And five milligrams in our cohort was enough to reverse the bone loss. But everybody's different. And you know, with this, I, I always am very, you know, I speak with a lot of caution. It just depends on how much you absorb. The bioavailability of melatonin is very low, you know, like could be under 20%. So, and everybody will absorb it differently. So everybody just has to see how they feel on it when they take it, but definitely get your levels tested and just see where you fall and then you would know, can you increase it? Um, the, uh, the surge of melatonin at night, it, does it happen at two o'clock or four o'clock or when does it actually, when do you see the biggest surge of melatonin? And that's when people should be sleeping, right? At that point, right. they should be like out. So when does that generally happen? So your peak levels are between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. So if people are waking and up between then, that's, that's not good. That's not good. That's not, yeah. So you have to, if you have to do that for a job, then, you know, you, that, you have to do that. But there are, you know, things you can, you know, try and do. Well, with that, you're going to just disrupt your rhythms no matter what. So the, the goal there would be to go to bed earlier in pure darkness just so you get your rhythm back in line with your light-dark cycle. So right. you would have to recreate your own light-dark cycle so that you get a nice nocturnal surge of melatonin because they find that the nocturnal surge in melatonin is what dictates the cancer-protective properties. Wow, that's when you really so, want it. Yeah, so if anybody's ever pulled an all-nighter, which I have <laughs> many <laughs> times, sure I, I remember between 2 and 4 in the morning, and this is before I knew anything about melatonin, I would just feel so cold and so tired. And that's because melatonin's saying, go to bed. <laughs> You're supposed to be sleeping. So what about so, waking up early before the sun rises at 4 in the morning? And, you know, and before, like how soon? Obviously, I, I, melatonin doesn't actually really shut down until the sun rises, but traditional cultures were up before the sun would rise. What's happening there? Well, there's levels of there's levels of light that we can't see that is enough to suppress your melatonin levels. Really? So even yeah, so even if you know we're getting up at six in the morning and that's when we see the sun, our bodies will probably be perceiving that light much earlier in the morning. So what's so time is I it think safe it's, to wake up? Like, in, if you're waking up in the morning, what's the earliest you feel it's safe to wake up in the morning? Five. Five, and that's like how many? Because that changes based on times, you know, the clock and all that. 
Is that an hour before the sun rises, uh, two hours before the sun rises, roughly? I'd say like an hour. I mean, again, it depends on what time of the year it is. Right. So, like, so I would say I would say be in sync with the seasons. Right. Because I would I think it's better to be in sync with what's going on outside. But if you have to get up, I'd say like five in the morning, which is like an hour before before sunrise would be okay. I mean, I again, everybody's different. So in the winter time, though, we have such a longer night. So are we producing more melatonin in the winter than we do in the summer? Has that been studied? You're not producing more, but you're producing it for longer periods of time. Okay. So, you know, here where I live, you know, it starts to get dark at 430 in the afternoon. Right. And then it's, you know, still dark. It's only like eight o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning. So you do have a persistent level of melatonin and that's telling our bodies it's this is winter and therefore you're getting that antioxidant benefit for a longer period of time so it's really repair rejuvenate and detox season right i you know i think so and i wish we could have a society that was perfect and we could all live in harmony with the seasons and with the light dark cycle because we should be sleeping you know, longer in the winter time. You're exactly right. But, you know, our demands of our lives, you know, we're in a modern society. Right, we I'm, have to get up. I'm going to ask you another sort of crazy question. If I'm a big fan of seasonal eating, right? And the microbes change from winter, summer to spring. So you would, you would guess that at the end of the summer, the foods in the fall for winter eating would carry more natural melatonin to give the body the melatonin it needs to go to sleep. Is that crazy thinking? Has anybody looked at that? No, you actually have good research projects uh, that people can start looking at because I, you know, with the root vegetables, those are the kinds of things we should be eating. Right. I would love to determine if there's a lot more melatonin in those foods than in foods in the summertime. But I would think that you'd want melatonin. I mean, like I said, plants contain melatonin, even cabbage. I mean, just Everything does. plants with no taste. So, I don't know if one would concentrate it more like black pepper and ginger have very high concentrations. Almonds and walnuts melatonin. too, right? Almonds and walnuts. Walnuts. Yeah. Various fruits. And it seems like, so just one thing, and I learned this just from listening to other people talk in the, who do work with foods. When a plant is really stressed out, so like if you, you know, it's dry, you know, growing in dry conditions, that usually makes it make more melatonin because it's got to fight off, you know, oh. it's got to boost its immune system. So the plants so they in my garden say, will be loaded with melatonin because... <laughs> <laughs> well, they, you know, because they say, you know, like, don't baby your plants, you know, you know, sometimes they need a little stress to boost their melatonin levels. And obviously eating very colorful foods is also very healthy. Yeah, hallelujah, right? This is the whole gluten-free thing we're seeing now and all this new research coming out. One big study, 200,000 people, an observational study with the nurses study that uh, people with the highest amount of gluten in their diet have less heart disease. Another study, less uh, diabetes. So all these studies are saying when you take and sterilize the diet and don't challenge it with harder to digest stuff and just make, the, make it so easy on the body, our immune system compromises and the body breaks down. So again, same kind of thing in nature, right? We, we can't just baby everything. Nature was harsh and we have to ha you know, stimulate the immune system and a lot of these foods that are harder to digest um, do that, right? Yeah, and that's what, you know, that's why I say go outside more. You know, we are supposed to be outside. And I work all the time myself, but I have to really think about, like, go out, sit outside if you have to read something. So put my, glass, I actually put myself like, in the sun. Windows, like, how bad are they for this? And can, I mean, because people are like, I work out in the gym, right? And I go to my, and I, my one time I have for myself, I'm in the gym as opposed to being outside. What's the detriment there? 
Well, and then I would say, well, I'm so glad they're exercising. <laughs> so it's good to exercise. If you can try and exercise outside, that's great. Wouldn't that be neat if we can make gyms that are outside? Yeah. That would be perfect if we lived in really nice climates, not not Pittsburgh. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, I would say if you can put yourself in front of a window during the day, that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, you want to get a strong light pulse during the day. Like, you you know, you were talking about the, the blue light, but it's just more just natural lighting is so healthy for our bodies during the day. And then a lack of light at night. Yeah. We have to like strengthen our light signals and our strengthen our dark signals so that our bodies stay really nicely entrained with the rhythm. Okay, the elephant in the room is the moon. There's light. It comes in my window at night and the wind and then when the full moon is out, there's a lot of light. What's the story there? Yeah, so the moon I can suppress your melatonin levels, so I would suggest closing your shades. Okay, really? And we can talk about sky brightness. You know, there was, you know, with all those people staying up so long, you have sky brightness that's now lighter or even greater than the moon. Right. So because again, of the ambient light from the cities and all that you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. 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 If you ever look, people can go and look down on um, through the satellite and look at all the different countries. Yeah. You'll see the ones like New York, like our whole country, you can just see the outline of our entire country and that's light pollution. Wow. And then you'll see some countries where they have a lower risk of, you know, disease and they have very little light. And that's because they just don't have a lot of electricity. But, you know, it's actually keeping them probably healthier in some respects just because they don't have a lot of light exposure. So so again, the suggestion, if you have that coming in, you'd want to keep your window. You, you can buy shades that really Blackout. keep the light shades. out because even street lamps are enough to suppress your melatonin levels at night. So I just suggest to people just kind of look around your room at night and just look at and look at what's emitting light. And so some people, my, some of my colleagues at work have actually gone and put like black tape over just the little things that are emitting light just to keep their rooms really dark. And obviously I wouldn't recommend like night lights. Yeah. But can I say one thing about light at night with breastfeeding women? Because I don't think that they would know how important this is for them. Um, children, babies when they're born... They get a melatonin rhythm fairly early, but it's not robust enough to keep the baby, you know, sleeping in a circadian manner. <clears throat> so most of the baby is receiving its melatonin through the mother's breast milk. So at that 2 a.m. feeding, if the mother's going in and, you know, wait, you know, having the baby get up and turning on the light, she's suppressing her melatonin level. Therefore, the baby's not going to have as much melatonin in the breast milk. So for all the mothers who want to get some sleep, be cognizant of your lighting. You can filter your blue light and have red light in your room. And then if you're breastfeeding your baby in that room, then your your breast milk will actually contain more melatonin. And then your baby hopefully will start sleeping more in sync with your sleep-wake cycle. So both baby and mom, you know, benefit from that. Wow, that's amazing. I heard salt lamps are okay. Is that true? I actually, somebody asked me that same question, and I didn't go and, and study that. I don't know why it would be good. Well, they said to put, so a, to, they put an orange, an orange light oh, I know. <laughs> I have a ton of them all over my house, but somebody actually asked me that, and I said, I would still think it's light. Yeah, yeah. So I, and, and one of the studies, and I didn't get the chance to talk about the breast cancer, but there's this really cool research where they show that if you're in a dark room, and you're just getting enough light that would come under a door, that would be enough to stimulate breast cancer or breast cancer proliferation. 
And the other thing they showed in that study is that same amount of light was actually making the breast cancer resistant to tamoxifen, which is a uh, cancer drug used to treat estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. And when they took the lighting and they added melatonin back, they decreased the proliferation of the, the tumors, but they also made the tumors become tamoxifen sensitive again. So just even a, the lighting that would come under a door could, if you, you know, with tumors, it could increase tumor growth or suppress tumor growth and also make them either more responsive to their the drug or less responsive. So that's actually really cool, cool stuff. That is neat. So, so the light that you're exposed to, it isn't just the blue light because you're saying even if you get a blue light filter on your phone or, or on your screens or whatever, that's the, any kind of light will still, to a certain extent, block the melatonin production, or is it just well, like blue said, light? Yeah, I think it's just more or less blue light because melanopsin is specifically recognizing blue light. Um, I'd have to go back and check like every single wavelength because right. they're all pretty close, the, the different lights, but primarily it would be blue light. And I think a lot of the cell phones now actually have night reading, and you can click on that, and I would highly recommend that. So if you just filter out the blue light, I think you're going to do really well with keeping your melatonin levels high at night. And during the daytime, it's okay to be exposed to that blue light from a cell phone? Yeah. If anything, I say that's a good thing. Oh, wow. Not from a, I mean, from a cell phone, obviously. Right. They, right. There's other research about you know, right. other things. Right. But I would say natural light. Right. So, so be natural. You just sort of snuck in your breast cancer research right there. <laughs> can, you, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Because that's pretty profound, what you're talking about, the relationship between breast cancer and melatonin. Yeah, sure. So this that is actually not my work. We actually developed a hormone therapy. We actually developed two novel melatonin therapies. It, we Because the Women's Health Initiative in 2002 came out and showed that women that were taking Prempro had an increased risk of breast cancer. So we were saying, you know, and some women have to have some hormone therapy to get through some of the vasomotor symptoms. So one of the things we wanted to do is to develop a melatonin hormone therapy. And so we're actually testing that and we're showing positive effects uh, with that on actually inhibiting breast cancer, but that's still in the early stages. We also have a molecule that just got patented where we linked melatonin with tamoxifen. So that was the, what was so funny is when that study came out from Tulane University, the one I talked about with the light under the door, yeah. our patent came out three days after that. It's almost kind of like, was that, that was kind of a neat thing. And what we're trying to do is to link melatonin with tamoxifen to make it work better wow. and to decrease the adverse effects associated with tamoxifen, which could be an increased risk of endometrial cancer. But the other thing, as someone who does breast cancer research, is I think that it's not only having a drug that is efficacious or works to kill cancer. I think it's a, you need a drug that doesn't have a lot of adverse effects, but also just makes people feel better. You know, so what I was, you know, this still has to be tested, but we want to see if we can still maintain people's sleep cycles, you know, while they're on this therapy, because you don't do well with therapy if you're not sleeping well, right? Don't, yeah. if we don't get good sleep, you just, the day doesn't, you just don't perceive your day as so good, or maybe yeah. things just come in and you have more pain or, so we're trying to tackle the whole breast cancer thing by making Linking melatonin with tamoxifen, making it work better, trying to reduce the adverse effects associated with uh, the other drug, and also trying to regulate sleep rhythms to keep people in sync with the light-dark cycle so that they stay healthier, so that all their 
organs are oscillating in rhythm with the light dark cycle because it's once they stop once they all start oscillating at different times that's when you start to get that just chrono disruption which could lead to a lot of different types of diseases so and the, so the stuff i was referencing is actually from the tulane group and they're this really marvelous group of breast cancer researchers looking at the effect of light and this tamoxifen sensitivity on tumors it's phenomenal can i just say one more thing about their work because this is really cool yeah they have this model system where they can actually take human blood and infuse it and look at human tumor growth in a, in a model system. And what they did is they had they drew blood from premenopausal women during the day, drew blood, same women during the nighttime with no light exposure, and then drew blood uh, with women after they had a 90-minute light pulse in the dark. And they infused these tumors with the different types of blood. So the blood taken during the day should be deficient in melatonin. And the melatonin or, and the women that had the blood taken at night exposed to light for 90 minutes also should have melatonin deficient blood. And when they infuse that blood, they show that the tumor growth rates actually increased. The blood taken from the women that had no light exposure at night, which was melatonin rich blood, actually had a decrease in the tumor growth rates. And it's because there's a lot of thinking out there that when people work the night shift that, you know, it's cortisol and it's all these other things and not melatonin. But in this one study, and I'll post the references for people, and I believe it, they can have access to it. It's really, they really showed that it was a melatonin effect uh, in, in this that was mediating the protective effects on breast cancer. So there's this, this really cool research showing that, you know, disruption of your nocturnal melatonin levels could impact on bone, it can impact on breast cancer, it could impact on metabolic disorder, diabetes, just a whole host of diseases. Your body needs to be in sync. You know, I've been in, doing this work for 21 years and working in the melatonin feels so hard because it just, it, you just can't put melatonin in like a box because it just does some things in some systems and other things in other systems. So the more I look at melatonin, I look at it more as something that's balancing our bodies keeping our bodies in rhythms, keeping our liver functioning appropriately, keeping our bones metabolizing and remodeling when they should, because it would be really hard to remodel our bones when we're standing on our legs. So the best time to remodel your bone is when you're sleeping, right? So right. you don't have all this weight on your bones. So for us, that's, that's where melatonin would kick in because that's when you have the most bone remodeling. Nicole, <laughs> it's, it, it's so fascinating, and and you know, um, I was reading the book um, Melatonin by your friend. What's his name? Can't think of it. Um, Russ Ryder. Yeah, Russ Ryder. Oh, he's he's like he's like the the man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love Russ. Surely, and he's got to be in his eighties or something now, right? Or something. I, I I think I don't I think around he's that age, there. and he's he's amazing. <laughs> and he takes a lot of melatonin, I would imagine. He's a big fan, right? Thanks. Yep. Of, of course. Of, yeah. We actually think he's. We actually think he's anti-aging. <laughs> well, he's great. So, gosh, there's so much to talk about. But you, you also did some work on the relationship of melatonin and the microbiome, which is a really important subject. So, tell me, tell us a little bit about that. Um, I don't do work per se on the microbiome, but I can tell you what the literature okay. talks about with the microbiome. Um, so, there's really cool studies showing that the microbiome is on a circadian rhythm. And what they are showing is that 
there's adherent bacteria that adhere to the mucus lining in a circadian fashion where the majority of the, or there's higher levels of bacteria adhering to the mucus lining during the nighttime versus the daytime. And they're showing that these rhythms are actually driven by the molecular clock. So they have these different um, rodent models where you can knock out the clock in the animal. And they show that if they knocked out the clock that's in our master biological clock in our brain, that disrupted and disrupted the microbiome circadian rhythm. And so what the thinking is, is that, you know, you need these rhythms because some of the metabolites coming out of the small intestine are being sent into the bloodstream and cueing the liver and even the colon as to what's going on in the gut so that they can sync up with their metabolic enzymes. And what was really interesting is the things that are being secreted into the bloodstream queuing up the liver is more like detoxifying enzymes and enzymes involved in like metabolism or ATP production. And so the melatonin work in this area is showing that melatonin can induce uh, the bacteria that can actually protect the GI tract and decrease the types of bacteria that can actually cause inflammation and break down the mucosal lining. So people have probably heard about LPS or liposaccharide, lipopolysaccharide. Some of these gram-negative bacteria can secrete these products and actually start to break down the mucous membrane and release their contents into the bloodstream, causing a mild inflammation, inflammatory response in the body. And what the thinking is, is that melatonin is actually protecting that mucosal layer through its free radical scavenging properties, through its antioxidant properties to keep that mucosal lining intact. So because you have a lot of melatonin that's actually secreted into the biliary tracts and also in the GI tract, and they're thinking that that's also protecting the GI tract from the biliary acids produced from metabolism. So that's like a kind of like a really neat area where you we have a lot of melatonin in our GI tract. So I, and well, go ahead. there's like 400 times more melatonin in the GI tract than there is in the pineal gland. So for someone like me who knows, you know, Russ Ryder's work on all the, you know, free radical scavenging antioxidant properties, that makes sense because you'd want to have a lot of that around when you're undergoing a lot of metabolism. So, but now this research is also kind of showing that this bacteria, it's getting rid of the good, it's inducing the good bacteria and decreasing the bad bacteria that can cause inflammation. And in this melatonin study, they showed that, that this connects with obesity. So they're like, if you can keep your gut intact and healthy, this could prevent you from getting diabetes because you're, you're not inducing these infl- inflammatory responses in the body. So it's really interesting research. So I read, tell me what you think about this. I read somewhere that, um, that we all know that we're 90% microbe, right? And that there's good bugs and there's bad bugs. And from the beginning of time, we've been fighting against the bad bugs from taking over us. And the melatonin is one of the very oldest molecules on the planet, regulates light, dark cycles. So that melatonin is always protecting against the infiltration of the bad bugs who tend to like to attack us at night. Um, and that while you're sleeping at night, that melatonin levels surge and then knock out the bad bugs and keep us protected. And they made this case that if we didn't sleep at all, 
the, while we're sleeping at night, this sort of microbial surge kicks, or kicks in, good bugs and bad bugs fighting what the bad bugs would take over, and without the melatonin levels that we really need, we would, in short order, be consumed by bad bugs and be you know, degenerated in some way, shape, or form. And it's sort of basically what you just said. It's taking it a lot further, but can you comment on that? Yeah, actually, one thing, and it's people don't understand, so maybe your case is a probably answer their question, but in this study that I talked about with the obesity and the microbiome and melatonin, they showed that melatonin actually decreased the diversity of the, the microbiome pathogens. So maybe, just like you're saying, it's inducing the good stuff, getting rid of the bad stuff, and maybe at night you're getting a surge of the bad stuff, and melatonin's decreasing that. So the paper actually showed a decrease in diversity. So that's so cool. And, and it is, melatonin on its own right is, a, uh, is an antioxidant for radical scavenger, but also isn't it a precursor for things like glutathione and superoxide dismutase, other antioxidants, or no? It's not a precursor, but what it does is it stabilizes glutathione, okay. and it induces antioxidant enzymes like um, oxygenases okay. and superoxide dismutase. So these are really important uh, enzymes to get rid of our free radicals in our body. So, but the neat thing about melatonin, though, so if I can just say one thing about this, and this again is a Russ Ryder's work, the neat thing about melatonin, like I said, it could work through receptors in the membrane surface, but it can also act as a free radical scavenger. They show that melatonin not only can take on free radicals like vitamin C and vitamin E and glutathione, its metabolites can take on. Uh, free radicals. So even as you're metabolizing melatonin into its metabolites, its metabolites can take it on. And so showing that, you know, suggesting that melatonin would have a longer duration of action on free radical scavenging. And free radicals are really important to control because they have unpaired electrons in their orbits and they want to just go and bind to the lipid bilayer. They want to go bind to DNA and they want to go bind to proteins and disrupt all their function. So if you have melatonin there scavenging these free radicals in the GI tract, it's all over the place. I mean, you have melatonin like everywhere in the body that accumulates. That's protecting your body from this damage. So a lot of us are probably getting scared by now because a lot of us, you know, stayed up really late. I read oh. a handful of books still two in the morning. <laughs> I know you pulled some all-nighters. Um, oh, so how resilient is the melatonin production? I mean, if you say, okay, that was in the past. Now I'm getting, I go to bed early and I wake up and I have a really good rhythm. Does it come back the production? Oh, definitely. And this okay. is, this, this work taught, we're talking about is an accumulation effect. I, I said the shift work was 20 years. Okay. So, and you can even do things to make your shift work better. You know, you could do things like go to bed right when you get home from shift work. We need shift workers. We wouldn't have doctors or nurses or ambulance drivers or people to pick up our garbage. I mean, we have to have shift workers in our society. And so what the thinking is, is, you know, once you get off your shift work, don't go jogging, don't go to the store, which a lot of them try and do because, you know, they're busy. Go home, put your shades on, you know, in your room and go to bed. And then so just having the rhythm is good. It's the lack of rhythm. So you can even have a rhythm within shift work. Really? So it's just this. So, but if you're someone that's getting off the night shift and then you're, you know, maybe going out to the grocery store one day, then going to bed the next day, and then 
staying up another five hours, your body can't sync to your rhythm. So, so are you saying it's better than for shift work? It's really just light dark. So if you have light at work and you're a shift worker, you come home and you darken out your room for a, you know, a period of time, you're better, to do, is you're better off doing that seven days a week than trying to like three days a week be normal and wake up. With if, you, if you can. I yeah, mean, hard, again, right? I everybody. And you know what I discovered in some of my readings, and this was you know, back in 2004, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but one third of our society, you have flexible work hours. So, and they have these rotating shifts. So sometimes they're on, sometimes they're off. Right. You know, some, so you just do the best you can. But again, I don't want to scare anybody because it, it's more just try and just be cognizant of your light exposure at night. Try and get back more into a rhythm. Try and, you know, get more natural lighting during the day just so your body can... Right to re-regulate yourself and get cues as to like, what is your schedule like? Like what, but try and make it consistent. And like you said, I mean, you know, if people are, you know, shift workers, then it would be really smart for them to get their melatonin levels checked. And then you can use the foods that we're gonna to link to your study to lift the foods. I've written some articles about that as well. So there, you have the foods before you go to bed to get that surge that you need. And also melatonin is an over-the-counter you know, uh, supplement that you can get anywhere from 0.5 milligrams up to as high as 10 milligrams you can buy in the, in the health food store, right? Which is a really whopping dose of melatonin. So there's some, a lot of evidence suggesting that if you really are, you've pushed the, the envelope a little bit too hard and your levels are really, really low, there's no research that's suggesting that taking melatonin supplementation would be harmful, right? Correct. I don't. I there's nothing really out there to suggest that. So no one has and to also, be scared, heard, right? You know, I think people are like going, "Oh my God, I've screwed up my whole." There's no. really these are really great solutions for people. Obviously, you want to do it naturally, but even as you get older and this thing starts to calcify, you know, I'm thinking at a certain age, I would my you know definitely the foods. I'm already doing the foods for you know in the evening, but it's but it. Uh, I'm thinking, at what point do I start taking a pill? Because, you know, if, if that is going to decrease with age, and that is sort of the youth longevity hormone, you could say, then it's something to have on our radar, right? I definitely agree. And also, you know, with age, you actually accumulate melatonin in your GI tract, believe it or not, too. So probably as a defense mechanism to protect against the age-related increase in oxidation reactions in your body, but the other thing I want to stress, though, is also you can wear an eye mask. Right. So I don't know if people, you can just buy these cheap $2 eye masks. Just if you don't want to shut your shades, if you just, you know, you can't control your lighting, if you just put a light eye mask on, so you don't have to buy the kind that are really heavy on your eyes. But you'll see that you'll probably feel a lot better uh, with your sleep. And then get your levels checked. Right. I would, you know, just like I said, everybody doesn't need this because people always ask me, you know, should everybody go on it? I said, well, it depends on, you know, what's your situation? What are you trying to control? What are your levels at? Can you do it naturally? You know, can you do it with foods? And just be cognizant around seven o'clock at night, just start turning down your lights and try and get away from those really bright blue lights. Those are just, those lights are so bright now. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, and, I thought it was just me. And now the LED light bulbs are such a big thing. They're cheaper. They last longer. So everybody's replacing their regular light bulbs with LED light bulbs. And those have the most blue light. So therefore, at night, you really want to cut those out. People use yeah. a lot of those, those orange sunglasses at night when they're watching TV. You can get these melatonin sunglasses. Is that something that <laughs> would make sense? I mean, it should have just... I, 
Yeah, I mean, if you want to like really be serious and you're, you're worried about it, for sure. Like I would do everything I can to minimize your light exposure at night. Yeah. If you have children, your family will feel so much better because the kids will start calming down. <laughs> right. I used to go around and turn off all the lights around 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock and just light a candle. And it was just nice because everybody would just start relaxing. And then you're trying to prepare yourself for bedtime by 10, if you can. Yeah, yeah. At least by midnight. Oh my God! I Try think I, well, I'm more strict than that. I definitely want everybody to go to bed, you know, at least by 10 o'clock, because then you're in what we call the pit, the time of night. People get wired; they want to change the world. Like you said, insulin levels start kicking in. You start craving midnight snacks, and your detox cycles are are compromised. That's an Ayurvedic concept. Of course, what you're talking about is supporting that concept with modern science, which is which is pretty cool. Paula, is there anything else you want to share with us before we before we let everybody go? Sure. So the one thing I want to just say about nooks. So, you know, I like to read a nook before I go to bed. Just you might want to try and read it a little bit earlier. They say that about 40 minutes of nook exposure, like from your devices, could suppress your melatonin by half. So if you want to read before bed, you know, try and maybe do it like eight or nine at night. And then you can start getting your melatonin rhythms to, to kick in around 10 o'clock at night. But do the best you can. So, like I am. So by half, you mean like right then and there? Does it recover in the night and come back to yeah. full dose, or are you are yes. you screwed for the night? Is that it? No, it will it will come back. It will come it's back. just that again, you want your you want as much of that nocturnal peak for as long as you can have it because it's just so protective. Right. Wow. Wow. And and the other thing I want to emphasize is you know try and control your stress levels because melatonin and cortisol have opposing effects. Right. So, and cortisol, as a lot of people know, you know, could be harmful to bone, but it also causes your bones to remodel. So when melatonin levels are high, cortisol is low. So that's what you would want during the nighttime. But when people are having light exposure at night, their cortisol, cortisol levels are higher. So now your daytime levels of cortisol might be higher. So it's just things to think about, you know, just try and not be so stressed out if you can. Has anybody measured um, meditation on melatonin levels or yoga on melatonin? Have you ever- yeah, actually they have, and we're actually going to be conducting a study on that, and they actually have some good results. So actually that's one of the areas that I want to pursue. I, I like this whole mind-body thing mixed with herbs and just, you know, having like scientific proof for this. But yes, there's definitely some studies that show that yoga can increase melatonin production and decrease cortisol. We're going to have to do a study on all the Ayurvedic herbs and find out which one has the most melatonin. And, and well, I want to, so yes, for sure, I want to do that too. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. That would be really fascinating. Yeah. Well, we'll stay in touch, Paula. If anything, you know, and um, golly, I can't even tell you how grateful I am for, for your wisdom and all your years of research. I mean, it's just really phenomenal to actually hear everything that you said from you. It's just so... It's just, it's so um, powerfully uh, important for every one of us, and to get it from you, which is like you know the burning bush. I mean, you you I mean you can count on what you know, like. I've read so much about melatonin. There's so much sort of out there, and how you reboot your pineal gland. To get it from you, a researcher who really knows the scientific facts, who's also you know really understands and loves Ayurvedic medicine as well. Uh, you couldn't have been a more perfect guest, and I'm so grateful for having you, and I'd love to have you back as your research continues. Maybe we'll do a, a whole Ayurvedic herb podcast on 
melatonin levels and we'll get that done. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Because yeah, it's all about circadian science, right? I mean, these are the rhythms we've screwed them up and we have to get them back in some way, shape, or form. And this is one of the, the, one of the kingpins of getting our body reset back to the rhythms of nature. And that's what's going to get us to the ocean, right? If, you know, if, we, if we are going downstream and we keep going off in these little rivers, we're in big trouble. But the idea is melatonin is going to get us all the way to a full, complete ride in life and feel healthy at the end. And, and uh, I, I'm sure you would agree that you know, the, 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 the dependent longevity we have today, people living longer but on, dependent on everything, how much can, you know, having good, healthy melatonin levels as you age, how much, you know, how many millions or billions of dollars could be saved if people would just recognize our connection to the light-dark cycles? Respect yeah, just more. get back in touch with nature. Yeah. It just we have to be back in touch with nature. That's and to keep our rhythms rhythmic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we need to keep our bodily rhythms fluctuating and in, in sync with the light dark cycle. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Paula Witt. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Thank you very much for for joining us, and we will be in touch. Thank you. Hi. Did you like this video? Do you like our content here at Life Spa? You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash John DeYard right here and get this valuable content every week in your inbox. This recording is brought to you by Life Spa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at lifespa.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.